Um, is anybody else here on the iPhone train? Anybody? So those who have iPhones usually love iPhones, and those who hate iPhones, you know, hate iPhones. It's okay. I'm not here to love or hate on anybody, but I'm on Team iPhone, okay? So about a year and a half ago, my iPhone 6, it, it uh, bummed out, okay? Like I was already due for an upgrade, uh, and a number of things just kind of broke on my phone. And so um, I went in to, to go look, right? That's what you do. You look and see. And um, the iPhone X had just come out, okay? So it, it was kind of all the rage at that point, and everybody wanted the iPhone X because it was so awesome, and, and I had no intention of really getting one. I mean, I'm a pretty simple guy, you know, for the most part, and um, so I go in, and I look, and, and they had some really good deals on the iPhone 8, okay? But the iPhone X is, is the 10, you know, so that was like the latest and the, the greatest. And, and so here I am, I'm in the store, and you, we've all done this. It may not be over iPhones, it may be uh, with anything else that you buy, but you go through this inner dialogue, right? Anybody else do that? And you start debating yourself, and you're like, man, like, like I mean, it's technology. You know, technology is outdated like the week you buy it, so you got to get the latest because, by, you know, it's... It's, the old one's already going to be outdated by the time you walk out the door with it. And so I'm like, well, but the iPhone 8, it will really accomplish everything that I need it to do. Um, but the iPhone 10 is supposed to be really awesome. It's got some really cool features I use a whole, I will use a whole lot, like even for church. <laughs> Throw Jesus in the mix. That, that, that's like the trump card, okay? So uh, I walked out with the, uh, the iPhone X that day. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and I'll be honest, like, uh, it had some pretty great free features, and, uh, but, but, but now, a year and a half later, they, ha they don't only sell the iPhone X. They have the XR, the iPhone XS, the iPhone S XS Max. You know, you, you get what I'm saying, right? It just, it's a never-ending game. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Have you heard that phrase? It's, it's a phrase that's been around for a really long time, um, and of course, we know, like we know mentally that the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. But that day, I would have been perfectly happy with iPhone 8, you know. Uh, but that doesn't stop us from wanting better things. And um, I didn't need the iPhone X over the 8, but, but I, I wanted it, okay? Can I say that? And so it's, it's nothing... It, uh, this phrase, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, is nothing new. It's been around for uh, many years. Smart people who, who know things and post them on the internet. Uh, the, the earliest recorded version of it was translated into English in 1545, and it's going to come on the screen right here. The corn in another an, an man's ground seemeth ever more fertile and plentiful than doth our own. Okay, you catching that? Uh, the corn in another man's ground seems ever more fertile and plentiful than our own does. <clears throat> so ain't that the truth, you know? You ever said that? Man, they got some fertile corn. Uh, no? Okay, I've never said it either. But I imagine if I were a farmer, I would have said that before. But, you know, uh, there's always that feeling that um, things could be better. There's always that, that tension that we live with, that things could be better. Uh, maybe it's not the, another man's ground or corn. But it may not even be another uh, person's grass in their yard. But uh, maybe we could say like the smartphone uh, is, is always newer in someone else's pocket. Or that truck 
looks a whole lot nicer in their driveway. <laughs> you know, and we start to look and we start to compare and we start to want and we start to desire. Man, I wish I had abs like that guy. Or man, uh, his wife does this or her husband does that and uh, their house is, is incredible. Man, this person is just talented. You know, everything they, they do. Or look at their income. Imagine if we had that. What well, if we had free time? I'm at a stage in my life where I'm like, man, that, look at that guy right there. That's a nice hairline. You see that? So, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. <clears throat> so, just being honest with you guys, I get paid to speak the truth. So, here, here we go. So, <laughs> the point, but, you know, we look at our own lives, and it's, it's not hard for us to be just a little bit discontent. And I, I don't think that's just me. I think that's most of the people in our culture. That, and it may be something different for all of us, but... But sometimes we just wish things were a little bit different. And that's like advertisement's job. You know that, right? It's to make us a little bit discontent with what we have. But there's this thing over here that is going to completely change your life. You know, the advertisers make billions of dollars. Uh, they're trying to convince us that what we have is just not right. It's not good enough. We can do better. We need more uh, of whatever it is they're selling. And so our appetite for these upgrades, it, it never ends. Um, have you ever uh, wondered what your life would look like if you were completely content? Have you ever thought, uh, thought of it like that? And like these areas where you were trying to pursue happiness and fulfillment and, and satisfaction and self-worth. I mean, it would probably be easier for most of us to identify our life by the things in, in which we are not content at rather than uh, imagining if we were completely content. So today we're, we're starting the series, uh, The Grass is Greener, and it's all about uh, learning um, how to be people that are content. And as Jesus people, I think we should be the most content people on the face of this planet. So today, uh, this new series, uh, because everything that happens on the surface, I think has an underlying cause. Uh, uh, everything that we see that's physical has a, uh, uh, its roots in something spiritual. So I think there's a reason for our discontentment. And it's not just that our phone is already outdated a year later. It's not that just because you don't fit into the pants that you did from 20 years ago. But being discontent is a symptom of something spiritually important that we need to address. And so, so that's where we're going for the next four weeks, okay? So come on back, bring your friends. And uh, today, I'm going to talk about the strength, strength to be content. And we're going to lay the groundwork for the next few weeks. So today, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. You can, you can whip out your old, nasty uh, your, uh, f smartphone, all right, as old and outdated as it may be, and, and get that Bible app in Philippians chapter 4, or it'll be on the screens, or um, you could take notes at cfsforlovers.info as well. <clears throat> so here Philippians was written uh, by the Apostle Paul, written to the church at Philippi, all right, and if there were ever a man who had his fair share of reasons to be discontent it would be our dude Paul, okay? So here we go, uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 10. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. 
Now, as Paul writes this letter, this is kind of getting to the end of the letter. In fact, uh, a lot of scholars believe this is one of the main reasons why he wrote Philippians. Yeah, he talked about all this the- theological stuff earlier, but, but again, practically speaking, he wanted to write a thank you letter uh, to the church at Philippi for supporting him. Like, here's the thing about Paul when he wrote Philippians. He was in jail. He, this is, uh, he, he was not a free man. He was there for, in, in prison for something that he didn't even do wrong. And that was just proclaiming the message about Jesus, which was, uh, it was pretty sketchy at times in the ancient Roman Empire. And so Paul's on some form of house arrest. He's, he doesn't have freedom. He's dependent, completely dependent upon others for his resources and to have his needs met. Now, notice that Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. If you step back and you look at Philippians, like that is the theme that you see over and over and over. You see words like rejoice and joy. Uh, re- rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And, and you see this, this theme of joy and rejoicing over and over, which is, which is incredibly ironic when we look at it because of Paul's situation. Now, the Philippian church was concerned about him, he writes, but they, uh, but they lacked the opportunity to show it. So Paul's praising God that they renewed his concern for him. Now, we don't know what that means. We don't know if, if they just didn't know about Paul's situation. You know, communication would have been much different and, um, and, um, 2,000 years ago. Um, and maybe they got word that he was arrested but didn't know where he had ended up. Or maybe they were just uh, having tight times in themselves as a culture, as a church. Or, or maybe um, no, they could send, no one could travel from Philippi to ancient Rome, where Paul was on house arrest. But whatever had happened, they had started back supporting and, and, and encouraging Paul. I would imagine both monetary needs and physical needs, as, and, and also encouragement um, through people visiting as, as well. And so we see Paul, because of that, he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. And he, in fact, it says he rejoiced and the Lord. Now, while Paul, while Paul, uh, while Paul was grateful and rejoicing, he takes this opportunity to, to teach the, the church something. And I think this is an incredible lesson that we need to hear today. And he continues in verse 11. He says, uh, he's like, thank you for, for your concern for me. All right? Like, thank you. But he says, I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Man, that, that is a huge deal, right? Because I know if I were in his circumstances, I'd be sucking my thumb in the fetal position in the corner, screaming, help, somebody, you know, like somebody help me. He's like, no, no, no. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. <clears throat> I, know both, uh, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And so, remember, as Paul writes this, this guy, the guy is not free. He's in prison. He's locked up. And <clears throat> he's been through so much in, in recent years. He's, he had been uh, in prison before already. He had been chased out of towns, 
He had been uh, persecuted, slandered. People tried to kill him several times, and yeah, that's a pretty big deal. And uh, uh, he, he um, was in a shipwreck, almost took his life. He was um, not able to do the job that he set out to do, and that's proclaim the message of Jesus because he was under house arrest. Now, if anyone, what we, as we would view, would have the right to be frustrated, man, it would be our guy Paul. I mean, if anyone would maybe start to be a little bit bitter, if anyone would be discontent, perhaps it would be Paul. But here in Philippians, we see this constant theme, joy, joy, rejoice. I'm rejoicing greatly in the Lord. Now, sometimes being content either seems like it seems unattainable, like it's, it seems like always out of reach because it, because. The very nature of our heart is we always want something we don't have, and and we, we think it's going to bring us more than it, than it's going to uh, more than it can, and we, we look to find our fulfillment, our happiness, our joy in in these things. But contentment, however, is the key to how we can experience life the way we're designed to, and and that's and Paul has learned to be content. Um, he, he doesn't rely on his circumstances. Like he says, like, whether I'm well-fed, you know, I'm content when I'm well-fed, or whether I'm hungry. And Paul's saying, look, I've learned the key. I've learned the key to being content. And here, and here it is in Philippians 4, 13. He says, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, you've probably heard that verse before because it's like on a lot of bumper stickers. It's on a lot of posters. It's, it's, it's plastered everywhere as a verse we like to take, and we like to uh, impose that onto whatever situation or circumstance we're going on. And, and, if, and a lot of times, it's misused. Uh, I heard of one guy telling a story that um, he saw this, these two little skinny guys in the gym, these teenagers, and, and they're trying to bench press. And, uh, and this one guy had like way more weight on there than he should have. And, and so the guy watched because he thought he was going to kill himself. And so he's like, do it. And the guy, he's struggling to get it back up. And the guy's yelling, you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No, you know what you could do through Christ who strengthens you? You're going to get your neck broken is what you're going to do, okay? Because that's not what the verse is talking about. It's not talking about in the weight room. It's not talking about sports. It's not talking about your, uh, your job. It's talking about a very specific circumstance. So when we approach the Bible, we have to understand it the way that it was meant to be understood. And that's part, part of that is we read the context. And so Paul is talking about God meeting his needs, He's talking about being content regardless of his outward circumstances. When he has a lot and when he has a little, Paul's saying, you know what, man, I'm going to be content. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. This word content in the, in the Greek it's the same word that the Stoic philosophers, you've probably heard of the Stoic philosophers, you know, they were kind of even keeled, not a whole, not, not very high highs or low lows, but they just kind of uh, seemed to just, just keep on going. And, and for, for them, for the Stoic philosopher, this word content was all about finding contentment in themselves, 
Like they were self-made people. And then they were completely self-sufficient. They were self-reliant. They had uh, no, regardless of the situation around them, uh, they wouldn't sway far to the left or far to the right because they themselves have found the very contentment that they needed in themselves. Now, Paul takes the same word and goes the completely other direction with it. It still has, uh, this, in the stoic sense, that, um, that there's going to be this not self-reliance, not the self-sufficiency, rather than reliance on Jesus who gives them strength. So yeah, Paul's saying I could be content regardless of the circumstances because I'm finding my contentment in something that's outside of all these circumstances. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm able to be content no matter what happens, no matter what situation I find myself in. No matter what I feel like I want at the moment, whatever, uh, whatever it is, I'm able to be content. Now, if I were Paul and I were writing the letter to the Philippians, I'd be like, hey, thank you. God. I would have started the letter out like that. I'd be like, hey, thank you for your, your gifts and your donations. I need it. I want it. Give me more. You know, that beef jerky you sent me in that care package was awesome. And, like, like and, and I'm depending on it. You know, I need, and you know, really laid it out for, for, for the church to continue, continue, continue with Paul uh, while not trying to sound rude or ungrateful because he's incredibly grateful. He's also taking the opportunity to say, say, like, my true needs are being met through something more. That's through Jesus. Now, chances are. You're not going to find yourself shipwrecked this week, hopefully. <laughs> Chances are you're not going to find yourself uh, in prison because you're proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Chances are attempts won't be made on your life, most of you. <laughs> but, but most of us are probably dealing with some form of discontentment in our lives. Like the grass looks greener. The corn looks ever more fertile in another man's field. The car looks better. The phone looks newer. That life looks better over there. And so we constantly deal with, uh, with this discontentment. So Paul gives us some secrets to being content. So I want to just hit some uh, three lessons that I think we can learn from this passage. The first one is this. Discontentment. Is not a problem with the things that you don't have. The problem is in our heart. And I know that sounds, you know, sounds tough to hear, and it's like a kind of a smack to the face for most of us. But but this is why this is a spiritual thing and not just a physical thing, because one of the things you hear people say a lot is is, uh, or, or maybe you think a lot. It, they say this. I hear it all the time. If I only had blank. Then I will be blank, fill in whatever the word is. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll have enough, right? And I don't know what your blank is. You know, what if I only had blank, we could fill it in with a new phone, a car, a bigger house, you know, uh, uh, better health. We could go on and on and on. If I only had blank, then I'll be happy. Then I can rejoice. Then I'll be fulfilled. You know, Maybe it's a car that doesn't have a huge dent in the side of it with an AC that doesn't work as the weather gets hot, you know? That might be something that might would roll across my mind, you know? Just saying. Uh, you know, um, a new car will be fun and exciting, but it won't bring happiness. 
You know, it won't change your heart to be content, you know, and it, it's this game that we're, we all get thrust into by our culture and by our very hearts that betray us at times and, and is fighting for our hearts and we have to fight back. It, uh, it will, we can do things that will change our circumstances, more, better, newer, bigger, but it will not change your heart. Your heart will just move on to something else. Your heart will betray you pretty quickly. Now, I'm not suggesting stuff and things are wrong. I'm not saying any of this. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm not saying nice stuff is wrong. I'm saying having a heart that is fixated on the grass on the other side, I am saying then, then that uh, is discontent, where we, we live in this constant state of, of looking and longing and seeking and needing and trying to find our happiness on stuff or in things. So we see at the, at the fundamental root, being discontent, it's not a stuff problem, it's a heart problem. Paul, he rejoiced. <clears throat> he rejoiced. Second principle is this. When we grow in contentment, we will be able to rejoice greatly in the Lord for, many, for the many ways he has blessed us. And so when we can kind of chip away at, uh, dis, uh, discontentment in our heart, and we can grow and be a more content people, we will be able to rejoice greatly in the Lord and the ways he has blessed us. You know, isn't it ironic that Paul, uh, more than any of us, could have been discontent and bitter? But he was the one who was, saying, who was writing. He was the one that was encouraging. He was the one that was saying rejoice and who was constantly uh, filled with joy. It's the, it was the biggest theme in Philippians. Um, so I want to challenge this guy, us as a church this week. Uh, what if we all wrote a list? All right, you can write it down on a piece of paper or write down your, your old outdated phone, okay? Whatever you choose. A list of 20 things that you're thankful for. What are 20 things that you are grateful for? The, that God has, a way that in which God has blessed you. Now, some of you guys are going to hear me, but you're not going to do this because you, you think that it's not that important. Or you think you've got better things to do, or you just won't take the time to do it. But I think you should do it. Like this week, put it in your fridge. Put it in your car. Talk, talk to your family about it. Post it on social media. Like, like this is something that we can step into. Write them down and, and, and use them as opportunities for us to rejoice in the Lord. Because sometimes it's so easier, easy for us to focus on that blank. Man, if I only had blank. Then, well, if we step back and say, man, I have this, I have that, God's given me this, and, and get to 20, the first few are going to be easy, really easy. As you get towards the bottom of that list, you might find it a little bit harder, but rejoice in the Lord for many ways he's blessed you. The third th thing is this, is the secret to contentment is finding it through Jesus. You expected me to say that, didn't you? Because this is church, and I'm a pastor. I have to say that, right? But when we look at the story uh, of the gospel, that's the good news about Jesus, okay? We, we see the magnitude of God's love for us, that, that while we were rejecting God, while we were dead in our sins, he sends his son Jesus on a rescue mission, ends up on a cross offering his life as a sacrifice for ours. That's what we celebrate when we take the Lord's Supper together every Sunday, 
But we see this good news, which is uh, so incredibly good for us, that everything else in this world should pale in magnitude, uh, in comparison to the magnitude of the good news about Jesus. So the secret to contentment is finding it through Jesus. You know, um, in Philippians 2, earlier, Paul, in chapter 2, he he writes this... um, Perhaps the most important part of his whole letter is not even from Paul, but he's quoting, a lot of people think, this old ancient hymn that had already been circulating about Jesus. And he quotes it, and he's like, in your relationships, I want you to have this attitude uh, of Christ Jesus. In verse 6, says, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, check this, check the demotions, right? He, he made himself nothing taking the servant of a nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And what kind of death? Man, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue will, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Man, the secret to contentment is finding it in Jesus. All right, why was Paul okay? Shipwrecked and beaten and uh, 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 almost murdered a number of times and imprisoned and dependent upon people for his basic needs in life. Why was Paul okay? Because the mission that he was on to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, was more important than his very life to him. Why was he okay? Why was Paul okay with all that? Because uh, he knew that regardless of what happened to him on earth, that his destination, his destination for eternity with Jesus far outweighs anything he experienced. And he also had the promise that Jesus would never leave him and never forsake him. And that's the same promise that we have church. Can you imagine the kind of hope, that kind of joy that that doesn't depend on circumstances around us, that depends on something that transcends the circumstances? Jesus, church, that is the secret to contentment. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I still have a lot of discontentment in my heart, this is the invitation for us to trust in Jesus. And say, you know what, it's not wrong to have something new or to want or to get something, but, but when our, our, it consumes our very hearts, we're replacing Jesus for something else. And so, I don't know what it is for you, but I pray that, that we can find our hope, and our trust, and we can find all of our greatest needs um, through the person of Jesus who came and he died for you, offered his life so we can have new life. And... Um, and if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, then that's the invitation that's always open for you, that, that he is enough. You don't need Jesus plus the new iPhone and Jesus plus a bigger house. And you don't need Jesus plus good health. And you don't need Jesus plus anything for us to have joy that transcends. So that's the secret to contentment.